Robots are proving useful for humanity, even for social purposes. But can a non-social robot be social? And can you teach a robot to really take care of humans? Professor on Social Aspects of Artificial Intelligence Thomas Belander and Professor in Robot Philosophy Joanna Seipt discuss if the redundancy of humans is in the not-too-distant future. Journalist and editor of The Researcher's Zone, Anders Herg Lammers, moderates the talk. This talk is presented in collaboration with Videnskab.dk. You're listening to a Heartland podcast. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. And uh, we are not only the three of us, as you can see. Uh, Thomas, you've brought a robot. Yeah, so this is a pepper robot. And uh, if you want to buy one, it's 120,000 kronas. So in, in the robot world, it's actually not that expensive. And uh, this is the, one of the type of robots that I'm using for experimenting with social intelligence and trying to program it to be smarter. All right. Thank you very much. And it and likes me a lot, so I'm, I'm afraid it, it, <laughs> it might do like this, that it will, will prefer to look at me and not at the audience, but <laughs> you have to live with that. Sorry. And hi, sometimes, hi. sometimes Thomas might turn it around. <laughs> yeah. Very, very much attached. Yeah, I know. Yeah. We can put it further out on stage, and <laughs> it might look at you instead. So, and it's and it's not that light, so Thomas is very strong <laughs> to be able to to handle that. And Johanna, you yeah. you have also brought a robot. Uh, I just realized Thomas got the better bargain. Uh, I paid a hundred thousand for this one, but only got a head. So. Uh, mine, however, is uh, better behaved, as you see, so looking at you very attentively. <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming again. Uh, today we'll be talking about uh, artificial intelligence, AI. We'll be talking about robots. We'll be talking about social robots. And we will also be talking about the pitfalls and possibilities that we see when uh, robots get more and more intelligence and how we can make them intelligent, because that is not an easy task, I know. But to begin with, I would like to quote a person that I presume not many are a big fan of in this day and age. Mr. Vladimir Putin uh, recently, or five years ago, said, whoever becomes the leader in AI will become the ruler of the world. Is he right, Johanna? Well, um, there are two, two aspects. Um, you can be the leader in a technical sense, and in that sense, you could say um, whoever is going to lead in quantum computing and quantum encryption, that is such a technical advantage that you could say um, that is a distinctive advantage. On the other hand, I think, I hope he will be wrong in the sense that he's immediately assuming that we have a centralized monopoly on who is steering AI. There's a new concept that is called technological sovereignty for countries. So countries now determine themselves what kind of technology is going to be used and how AI is used, and in particular how your data are going to be used. So I hope he is, with respect to that part, definitely wrong. Thank you very much. Same question for you, Thomas. Yeah, so, so thankfully, um... I mean, all, all the big breakthroughs in, in AI are, are still, as far as we know, at least, they are in the public domain, so researchers publishing papers, and even the big tech companies like Google and Facebook who have research development uh, centers, they also publish their research, right? And, and it's kind of impossible unless we share. It's not, it, I mean, the idea that there could be a, a super bright guy uh, in, in an, or, or a woman in a basement somewhere that could event 
invent some new kind of AI that nobody have ever thought about. It's, that's not very realistic. It, it's a joint effort, and it's super hard, and it takes a long time, so we have to do it together. But of course, I mean, if you, have, if you, if you spend more money and you, I mean, you... So one thing is like the ideas. So the ideas are public, and we all know what, what can be done. But of course, deciding what to do with it and deciding whether you want to have uh, autonomous we weapons like killer drones, that's another issue. Yeah. Thank you. So we have some concepts today that may or may not be completely familiar to all of you. We have AI, we have robots, we also have social robots. Could you, Johanna, help, help us get a sense of what's the difference, what's the interlink between them? It's the definition of AI, I leave to Thomas, <laughs> but the definition of a robot is interesting because the roboticists themselves uh, do not attempt any definition. So you find in the literature again, robots cannot be defined. But um, a social robot, I mean, you can say roughly, a robot is an artificial agent that is physically embodied. So a chatbot on my account, wouldn't be a robot. It's a piece of software. So uh, a social robot, on the other hand, is an artificial agent that is designed in such a way, you see this so beautifully here in Pepper, uh, that it makes us immediately respond to it as though, as if it is a social agent. It's designed in such a way that our brains react to it immediately by perceiving it as a social agent. So people speak about affordances. Uh, it has certain aspects that make it possible, enable us to react to it emotionally and uh, accept it as a social agent. And when you say social agent, you mean it's, it's, it's someone that we think about as an ethical being. Yes, that's, we are getting right into the dilemma that, that uh, we need to discuss later on as well. Um, uh, there's a basic dilemma here because um, the whole, there's a field that is called human-robot interaction studies, abbreviated HRI. And 15 years of HRI have shown that in order to, for a robot to engage us in a smooth social interaction, it also needs to simulate emotions. That is, it needs to simulate to us that it has emotions and recognizes our emotions. Our social interactions are much more complex than we normally are aware of. But now the point is smooth social interaction requires the simulation of feelings and once something has feelings in our um, conceptual scheme, but also in our uh, immediate response, this is something within moral space. This is something that we need to consider as a moral patient or agent. So that's the dilemma. If we want to have smooth interaction, suddenly we build something that is also a new moral entity, something we need to relate to uh, within moral space, with moral considerations. And we will get back to more on that later. But for now, you, you were left with the definition of AI. Ah, yeah, nice. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah so, um, so, yeah, so actually people have been thinking about whether it is possible to make machines intelligent uh, since we had the very first computers in the world. So, so, so somehow... Already when we started getting computers, people started to think, oh my god, this, this is crazy, they can, they can play chess and stuff, so what, where is the limit of this? And then in 1956, John McCarthy, he was the, he's coined the term and he was kind of the father of AI. He says this, it's the, it's the science and the engineering of making intelligent uh, machines, and especially intelligent computer programs. So he decides to use the word intelligent, right? So it's about intelligence. And it's interesting because he could have said some, it's, a, it's smart algorithms or, or something, right? It, it's algorithms that solve problems in a, in a, in a, in a smart way. Or, um, but I, I think actually it, it's, it's okay to use that even though we don't really know what intelligence is. So it's really hard to say when something is artificial intelligence for real. 
but it's always inspired by human intelligence, right? So if I want to build a chess computer, I start to think about how I play chess. If I want to uh, build a driverless car, I think about how, what is it I do when I drive, what is it that I notice, what is it that I see and hear, and how do I use my hands to, to do that? So, so that is a def defining thing, and then also that it's often about making computers do the things that so far only humans have been able to, so meaning, that, for instance, playing chess, driving a car, doing medical diagnosis, talking to other people. All right. You mentioned killer robots um, earlier. I would, I would like to uh, see clip, clip one now, please. Customer pilots directed almost 3,000 precision strikes last year. We're super proud. It allows you to separate the bad guys from the good. It's a big deal. But we have something much bigger. Your kids probably have one of these, right? Not quite. Hell of a pilot? No. That skill is all AI. It's flying itself. Its processor can react a hundred times faster than a human. The stochastic motion is an anti-sniper feature. Just like any mobile device these days, it has cameras and sensors, and just like your phones and social media apps, it does facial recognition. Inside here is three grams of shaped explosive. This is how it works. Did you see that? That little bang is enough to penetrate the skull and destroy the contents. They used to say guns don't kill people. People do. Well, people don't. They get emotional, disobey orders, aim high. Let's watch the weapons make the decisions. Now, trust me, these were all bad guys. Now that is an airstrike of surgical precision. It's one of a range of products. Trained as a team, they can penetrate buildings, cars, trains, evade people, bullets, pretty much any countermeasure. They cannot be stopped. They cannot be stopped. Pretty scary sword, right? Let me first stress, this is a fake video, a fake CEO. So, uh, but the technology is quite real, right? So, should we be scared? Are you scared? <laughs> I'm, I always get scared when I watch this video. And I also said maybe we shouldn't watch it because I think it's terrifying. I've seen it a million times and every time I get equally scared. <laughs> so, so yes, I, I think, of course, I mean, because the technology is here, right? And, and we all know that, I mean, there's always this dual-use uh, problem with technology that we can use it for good things and we can use it for bad things, right? And, and of course, this, this is a very potentially a very, very powerful uh, weapon. And, um, but I think where, where it gets, where, where this gets particularly terrifying is, is when he's, he talks about like the, that, the, that the, the AI takes the decision, right? So the drones take the decisions. Like you say, okay, now I, I, I give you images of faces of, of the ones that you want to kill, or I tell you about the personality traits of the kind of people I want to have killed, right? <laughs> And um, that is not only <laughs> a, a bad thing in itself, but it's also that, that, well, even though we have these amazing robots on stage and, and, and we can do a lot with AI, they are still pretty dumb. And they make lots of mistakes. I would never give a knife or, or, a, or, a, or a gun or something to, to this robot. It's not because 
It's super cute, right? Super <laughs> I, cute. I'm not, I'm not scared that it will get evil and try to take over the, uh, like, like get world domination or anything. But, but, but I mean, it, it often makes mistakes, right? And, and so, so a lot of us have signed petitions against uh, autonomous weapons, a lot of researchers. And the idea here is that we, we simply don't believe in it. It's, it's too dangerous and it can go very wrong, right? As, and this is what you also sometimes see in sci-fi movies. But maybe in, in, in some of those, it's because they, the robots somehow get evil. But it could also be that, 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 that there's a small box somewhere and then everything uh, goes bananas. So, mm -hmm. yeah, no, that is, <laughs> that is scary, unfortunately. And do you have anything to add? Yes. I mean, I think it is important to watch the video only in order to see the extreme. We always want simple solutions. I mean, we are all cognitively lazy. So we want some simple answer. Robots AI is bad. Robots AI is good. And it is indeed very important to keep... I mean, the tech industry stresses very much... Uh, the fantastic success of AI, right? And, and as you probably have read in newspapers, uh, AI programs are so good at diagnosing cancer, breast cancer, better than doctors. Uh, they are, especially in medical diagnosis, fantastic advances. Um, we can use AI for smart resource uh, allocation, for environmental purposes, and so on and so on. There's even an AI that scans the sky in order to identify dangerous asteroids, so asteroids that might become so-called killer asteroids that come too close to Earth. Wonderful application. So that's the good side, right? And uh, in between, this is what we need to work with. Of course, we need to aim for the good side and avoid the bad side, but we also simply need to keep in mind things are complex. We need to work together. Answers are not easy, and it's all much more context-dependent than we would like to have it. That's a very good answer. Um, it, can, it can be good, it can be bad, it mm -hmm. depends on how we use it, mm -hmm. essentially. I would like to see clip two as well, please. This is a less scary clip <laughs> that, than the one we just showed. Uh, and a lot more fun, right? Um, and it, it, it goes together with what you just said, they still make mistakes. They're, 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 not, they're not quite perfect yet. This was really state-of-the-art in 2015, yeah. so it's, it's a DARPA challenge. Yeah. So, so it's a challenge, a worldwide challenge, where you have to build humanoid robots, so like human-like robots, and then they have to solve simple tasks. So this robot uh, is, is trying to get to, to, um, uh, to this, uh, I don't know, round thing, and you have to turn it. And if you look at this one, it thinks, <laughs> it, it, thinks it has a grip, but it doesn't, and, and then it tips over. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, so drones are simpler than these humanoid robots. All right. Uh, we, we move a little bit away from the... <laughs> From the, from the dystopian uh, scenarios to um, the job market. Like, if you were to advise, for example, your kids today about which areas to steer clear of when they choose a career, because that career will become obsolete in... 10, 20 years' time, which one would yeah. you say to your daughter, okay. don't do that? Right. Uh, yeah, actually, first I want to say, because this, I think this is quite funny, so, so, so Toby Walsh, who is a big name in, in AI, uh, once gave a talk about these things and, and, and the future job market, and then he said that, that the AI research are the ones that will be the last one to get the... <laughs> <laughs> get out of job, right? Because we, we will build these robots and, and, and when they take over the world, it, there's only a need for AI researchers and no one else. But of, I mean, it's a joke, of course, in a way. But, but uh, it, it's still like uh, the more narrow and well-defined a problem is, the easier it is to make AI do that. So, so they are getting more advanced, 
but it means like if, for instance, if you are if you're a truck driver and you drive an autobahn uh, for many many hours straight, well, we all know that that uh, you can you can buy cars that have pretty decent autopilots. So so that's maybe not the best job to have in the future, right? Um, but it's not necessarily so that then you have you need to become an AI researcher or have a very high education. Not necessarily, right? Because because I think also when we get more robots, maybe also we come to value human interaction more, and it, it it feels like it feels very good when 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 there's a human, right? So I think I will always want to when I buy coffee, I will always want my barista to be a human being and not a robot. Maybe the robot could actually make slightly better coffee because it's more precise, right? But it's nice to have the human interaction. So, so, um, but of course, it's 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 not easy to give a very simple uh, simple answer. But but it could be something like like uh, truck drivers, or again, the more somehow the less you need. I would say the less you need your social skills, and the less you need your linguistic skills, because those are some of the skills that are super super hard to get AI to handle well. So the less you need those the more you're in danger. But if you like to be among people and talk, and <laughs> then, then it's better. Yeah. Uh, you've also shown me a video of a hospital robot that <laughs> essentially can't, cannot move uh, like, like away from people. So, so, so this is me as a hospital <laughs> robot, and then, and then you, you need to get the... Get, get away. Yeah, get away. Because otherwise I'll be moving into you or into a patient or into a cleaning lady. And sometimes this, um, this uh, robot can even uh, be so damn impolite to take the elevator in front of uh, rescue workers with a very sick patient. And uh, that's that's quite annoying and very bad social skills, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so that's that's like talking in favor of why we would need uh, robots to have social skills in the first place, right? So, so the example you gave with the elevator—that's actually a real example from Suhu Sunoyuland. So, so, so that is something we've experienced with with hospital robots in Denmark. And now these the robots they have are confined to the kitchen where they help like with the, the the dirty plates and stuff because they are not that social, right? And and you might also think that when when we talk about social robots and social intelligence, then we are, are necessarily thinking about robots that that have something like human emotions or that have social skills at a human level. That that is not necessarily the case, but they need at least some basic social skills, right? They need least, at, at least they need to somehow be able to um, uh, be able to interpret basic social situations, like the, the one where the paramedics are running towards the elevator, or there have also been cases where the robot is disturbing people who are on the phone, and it just keeps talking and talking and talking, and people get super obsessed about it. Right? Talk has arrived. Yeah. <laughs> Talk has arrived. Talk has arrived. <laughs> Um, yes, um, so this essentially leads us into like how do we make sure that the kind of AI and social robots we build benefit humanity and don't make us obsolete and don't take over the world? What, what do we need to do, Johanna? I have a I think a fairly clear answer to this, but can I add something to, to, to the previous question? Because um, in 2017, um, the so-called the McKinsey Global Institute, that's a, an institute that uh, produces economic projections, they projected that by 2050, 50% of all human work activities would, could, and probably also would be automated. And they said, as you said um, uh, right now, they said it's mostly the repetitive jobs, um, routine jobs that will be automated first. And when you first read this, of course, you think, well, that's great. We only need to work half of the time. But that's not right. Half of the population won't work, right? Unfortunately, uh, McKinsey is already now proven wrong because 
uh, AI has moved in creative jobs. So uh, it's also the humanities positions, precisely those that we thought would be safe until a long time. It's also those where we will see lots of hopefully only collaboration with AIs, but at some point also replacements. So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, it's not only the routine jobs, it's the creative jobs. In fact, we use our robot here in order to have Socratic dialogues with students. So this, in some other context, is programmed to talk about happiness in such a way that humans get to think about their own happiness. That's actually my job, so in a sense I'm replacing myself. But coming back um, to how we do it best, um, in our uh, research unit at Aarhus University, so I'm basically actually sitting here for eight other people uh, from psychology, anthropology, uh, design, cognitive science, and so on. We have been asking this question for a long time and we came up with an answer that is not attractive, neither to the industry uh, nor to the politicians, because what we say is the symbolic space of human interaction is so complex that you need the technical sciences and the humanities to collaborate. We humanities researchers, we have learned, we are trained to analyze symbolic significances. A handshake, I mean, just from the handshake, you can decode so much, right? So the answer to the question is we need to collaborate uh, already when we start producing robots and when we produce applications. So for instance, the hospital robot, we would say, let's first go in there and understand the context. Let's understand what matters in the context. What are the values of the people who work there? And then how can we use robots in a way that preserves these values or even enhances these values? Thank you very much. You? Yeah, no, so I just, I just wanted to react with the, the thing with the handshake because we actually, we programmed also Pepper to be able to give a handshake and people said, no, you cannot. It's, it's, not, it's not advanced enough. And then, okay, no, we, we want to do it. And then we did it, and then it turns out, okay, a handshake, mm, <laughs> it's not maybe as simple as you might think, right? Because, okay, so you need to, you need to bring out your hand, okay, that's fine, right? You, you need to sense when, when the hand is grabbed. But for instance, for how long does a handshake last? And do you, do you shake like this, or do you hold your hand still? And it turned out to be super difficult, like, because, and also, uh, handshakes are different, right? It depends on who you're giving a handshake to. And all that is like, okay, and, and that's very interesting, right? Because also when I said that like, like computers playing chess is simple and already in 1997 that computer became world chess champion and then you might think, okay, but then computers can do anything. And then you try to teach a robot to give a handshake and it turns out that that, that is like dramatically dif difficult, right? So that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, even, even the former US president, Donald Trump, uh, didn't really know the appropriate time, <laughs> no, no. time, yeah. time for, for a handshake, yeah, yeah. right? Like, yeah. like, like that could last for 20 seconds. Yeah, so like. who, program who programmed him? Yeah. yeah. No, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, and, and another thing from what, what Johanna said, I was just reminded because there was a very recent interview with Elon, Elon Musk where he says, we're going to live in a future of abundance. So in a, in a very short term, we will have so, so much technology and so many robots, so much AI, that it will solve like uh, poverty and climate and uh, uh, health and anything, right? But of course, as <laughs> Johanna is shaking her head, right? But the, the point is that, that, that the requires that we somehow, the wealth is somehow divided in a fair way, right? And I'm not sure that he, he's really um, <laughs> necessarily willing to do that. That's, at least it's very unclear, right? And we already see it with the tech giants that they have an enormous amount of, of wealth. And they are, they are taking away wealth from, from, from other industries like retail markets. So, so, so now Amazon is so big in the retail market in, in, in the U.S. That, that a lot of shops have been dying, right? And that means people get out of job, right? So, 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 of course, there are these consequences 
but 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 we 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 need to understand them and we need to deal with them and we need to regulate and uh, yeah. Uh, can we just see slide one, please? So these are different kinds of social robots. Uh, uh, Johanna, what what do we use social robots for now? What can we use them for? What what should we use robots for? And what you see here is, uh, I mean, robots in, uh, in 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 healthcare, right? In elder care. Uh, you see actually um, the cute little ones up there. They are used, um, they're produced by, I think, Albo University, or at least used by colleagues from Albo University. Um, again, in order to create uh, well-being for the elderly, you see a, uh, here a robot that is uh, tutoring a child. So I think we need to be extremely careful when we do that. Um, and again, coming back to the idea that context is what matters. A robot is not, a social robot is not something that you, uh, you know, get from Bilka, uh, or actually Bilka is now using robot to, robots to stack the shelves. So, but anyway, a robot you don't buy like a lawnmower, right? So we need to uh, always make sure that we use robots that would be the most cautionary approach that we are actually preaching in our unit at Aarhus. We say robots may only do what humans should but cannot do. Humans normally have a hard time not having gender. This fellow here can have can fail to have gender. We can give him a genderless voice, although that's rather complicated. So there's something that robots can do in our social experience that people can't. And it's actually very positive. So there are robots used at certain stages in psychological therapy where they can do something that humans cannot do because they, they give us the experience of a social agent but it's distinctly different from experiencing a human agent. People say, ah, it was so much better. I didn't have to be ashamed. I did not have to think about what my interaction partner actually wants to hear from me, right? So there is cognitive relief, there's emotional relief, and that is what we need to focus on from my point of view. Let the robot do those things that we should but cannot. And then there's lots to be said about this cannot, right? So, so that's, that's, of course, a very open concept. Yes. Thomas, do you agree or disagree with this no, no, fairly I, I, restrictive I, I, use I, of robots? Yeah, well, I largely agree, but, but, but I think also that there could be situations where people can, but, but, but where maybe we don't have the resources, right? So, yeah. so I, I talk, we talked before about hospital mm -hmm. robots, and, and we know, of course, we have problems in the healthcare system. We don't have enough hands, and... Well, we could decide as a society to invest twice the amount of money in, in, in the healthcare system, but then that would mean uh, much higher tax, and people are maybe not willing to do that. Um, so, so, so if we can have robots that can help with the somehow the tasks that actually don't require much like uh, personal interaction. So that was the idea, right? There's, so, so a very large percentage of the tasks at a hospital are logistic tasks, so mo moving food and blood samples and medical equipment, etc. Right? So if, if robots can do that, then we have more hands to actually be with patients and talk with patients and analyze results, etc. Right? So, so that could also be a situation. Yes. And then, then they are not necessarily social agents in, mm -hmm. in, in somehow well, the more extensive sense that you sometimes talk about it, Johanna, but, 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 my, but what we have seen, uh, for instance, in Denmark, also Halev Hospital had to uh, give up on the robot project, at least for now, because these, agents, these, these robots were not able to interact with human beings, right? Mm -hmm. So again, at least there are these situations where you, you need at least a minimum of social skills and uh, ability to, to, to interpret the social mm -hmm. situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is more or less exactly what, what you're trying to do with Pepper, right? You, 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 need, you need a certain amount of social skills, social intelligence, 
in order for us to uh, work smoothly with a, with, a, with a robot, in order to not have all, the, all these annoying situations. Yep. So yeah. how do we do that? Yeah, so, yeah, so more specifically, uh, so, so what I've been doing in my, my research, and of course I'm not the only one, but, but um, so we try to give it what is called a theory of mind, which is a fancy term for, for uh, the ability to take the perspective of others, right? So to put yourself into someone else's perspective. And, and the idea is that, that uh, as humans or as robots, we have, like, we have, uh, mental, uh, we have mental images of, of the world around us, right? We, we, can, we can imagine what the world is like. And if all of a sudden this, this entire tent became filled with smoke and, and not, we could see nothing, right? I would, still, I would still have some kind of idea about where you are and where the exits are, and I might still find my way to the exit, right? Even though I cannot see... Maybe I cannot hear, right? Okay, so, so, so somehow there's something in the brain uh, that, is, that is there. But the thing is now that, uh, that to become social, so this mental uh, image that you have has to also include the mental image of other individuals, right? So as part of my world model, I don't only know that there are speakers uh, here and there's a robot there and there's people out there, but I also have some kind of... Uh, I, can, I can start to think about what kind of mental pictures you have and that you see things from a different perspective, for instance. Or if I see smoke uh, emerging from this corner, I'm not just running out myself and leaving you to whatever, right? But I'm, I'm, I'm warning you because you might not be able to see that smoke. Why? But why, why would I do that? Well, I can only do that if I can have some imagination of, what, of, uh, that, of the fact that you're not seeing the smoke, I'm seeing the smoke. But if I, cannot, if I cannot have any idea about your mental states, of course, I would, I, would, I would just be super selfish and I would just run away, right? And I would, yeah, so, so therefore, <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. So I would like to go on with you, Johanna. Yeah. Like, you, you talked a little bit about these things that robots should do and only that. What 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 we 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 cannot do, mm -hmm. but you've also talked about the once that robots acquire more and more intelligence, they become social agents. Mm -hmm. Would would there would there become a point where, for example, if I purchase pepper and I mistreat it, I start putting it in the corner, or doing whatever I can do to make its life miserable. Mm -hmm. Would that be a problem, ethically speaking? Definitely, definitely. Is, is this the time when we see the second clip, perhaps? Yes, we can, we can, we can see, or, the, we can see the second clip now, but, please. Okay. Or, or sorry, third, third clip. This is uncomfortable to watch, right? Even more so. Why is this uncomfortable for us yeah. to watch, Johanna? Yeah. <laughs> I think the reason why this is so uncomfortable, uncomfortable to watch is that there are in our brain mechanisms, sociobiological mechanisms, that decode motions. And uh, these are this, this sort of decoding, this decoding for empathy or decoding for sympathy happens um, below the level of conscious control. So I take it also when you saw the robots before stumbling, right, at the, at the context. I mean, we, we cringe internally. We can't help it. So these are automatic reactions. Now, imagine that I, you were saying, Anders, if, if I saw you mistreat the robot, I would essentially um, train myself. If I didn't stop you in, in doing that, I would train myself no longer to be sensitive to the visual display of an aggressive behavior towards a humanoid shape. I would actually train myself 
um, to tolerate this sort of aggressive behavior um, uh, at a much larger scale. So the, 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 this is the, uh, the deep, deep problem that we are, that we are dealing with, robo-philosophers, but anthropologists, psychologists, social roboticists. We are in a situation of ignorance. Uh, we, we don't quite know yet what kind of irreparable damage we could be producing if we, as uh, economists would like to have it, uh, put robots ubiquitously, so everywhere, into public space. We don't quite know what we are doing here. There is the hope that we will acquire the technological literacy, so the understanding of that there's nothing going on here, nothing interesting in Pepper. There's nothing that Pepper feels if he is kicked by, by um, Anders. So that we would at some point understand that this is harmless. And when I... Uh, when you kick Thomas, that wouldn't be harmless, and that's when I really need to step in here. Uh, but I'm not sure that this hope that we can acquire that technological knowledge is well-founded. So there's lots of research that we need to do, right? And the problem is, if I might add that, the, 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 the research that we have so far is based, say, on television and film, right? We, we know that aggressive um, so, uh, films with lots of violence don't make you more aggressive or only slightly so. But this is two-dimensional pictures. What we know from this human-robot interaction research, HRI, is that our brain reacts very differently to any information that is presented two-dimensionally versus three-dimensionally. So that's why we cannot simply say, yeah, we have learned from television that, you know, that's not so bad. Yeah, the psychologists were all geared up in the 1950s. They thought we would never learn how to disengage ourselves and never figure it out. Unfortunately, this argument, and, and then the argument continues, but now we have learned it, I mean, at least to a large extent. So this argument doesn't fly because it uses two-dimensional to three-dimensional, this transition, that doesn't work. Yeah? So we cannot really conclude that uh, um, letting these new artificial agents into our social space is utterly harmless. And that's why we think we need to uh, go this cautious route and always say, what is special about them? What is it that they can do that we cannot? And then discuss the cannot very carefully, because I agree with you, uh, uh, Thomas, that you say that, that uh, uh, there are different dimensions of this cannot. But we need to always do it for context, with great care, restricting ourselves. This is also why you, you the philosopher, and you, the engineer, need to work together so that we get different perspectives and don't, um, don't forget that, well, the ethics part of it. Can we see slide two, please? And slide three as well? So these are, these are the examples you, you just talked about, right? Um, and um, I would also like to know, like, this is the first time that I meet the two robots of yours. And to me, it's both, it's both fascinating, but it's also kind of scary. Like, Pepper, he's, he's dressed, he, he's reacting, he spoke to me before, before you entered. So have you ever had a feeling where you, you, you actually get scared or frightened? Like, there's this notion of the uncanny valley effect, Thomas. Yeah, okay, so, so, so the uncanny valley is, is when it gets, so, I, I mean, it gets very real, like some of the pictures you see here, but you can still see that it's, it's not real, like, like the, I guess those are sex dolls or something, right, in yeah. the lower left yes. corner, yeah. Uh, and, and if you get up close, then it, it, and also uh, the one in the top left, that can seem a bit scary. That's why I prefer one like Pepper that looks like something from an animated movie or something, right? So, so um, 
but 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 also I I I mean so 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 it, it but this also it just proves your point Johanna right that that somehow the ap appearance makes a huge difference right because when we were looking into what kind of robots we should work with then then it actually mattered quite a lot to me like the 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 the, the appearance and whether people would want to approach it and 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 shake its hand or something right and we also looked at more industrial type robots that are much more powerful and have better computers and better sensors but then it was not nah because people would just be frightened so so uh, but also I, I with just just very briefly with, with what you said before because there's this um, I mean, also when we're kids, we have we have maybe dolls or teddy bears or something, right? And 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 as when you're a kid, you still have, I mean, you can have a real emotional connection there, right? And then when you grow up and you say, oh, yeah, okay, but it's just it's just, uh, I mean, it's it, it, it's just a dead thing, right? And then then you feel less for it and you put it in a cupboard and you never look at it again or something, right? But 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 the point that you are making there is that 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 changes also. I mean, the more human-like it becomes. The more it becomes like us, the, the more it activates these feelings, right? That uh, also as adults. And for instance, the, the pepper robot, if you, if you try to move it, uh, it will say, ow, ow, ow. So, so I, <laughs> I have a course where I ask my students to program the robot, right? And they, they, they actually treat it quite well. Because, because if they want to say, oh, no, it's, it's turning the wrong direction, and then they start to move it around, and then it says, oh, oh, and then it, they immediately move back, right? And say, oh, okay, okay, fair enough. I'll leave, <laughs> I'll leave you alone, right? And this is an automatic reaction because it's not a system where we have to, we don't have to write a manual where it says, uh, please don't, uh, I mean, please don't uh, 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 lift the robot, or please don't do this with the robot. It's, it, it works out automatically because it, it, you expect it to, to somehow behave in a, in a human-like way, or if it reacts in a human-like way, you immediately know what it means, right? You can immediately interpret it. Yeah. And likewise, like, it's, it's also when, when, you, when you spoke about this social intelligence, like, like we, we, if, we, if we want it to become intelligent, we also need to understand human intelligence better, right? Like the better we can understand human intelligence, the more, intel the more intelligent we can make Pepper. Yes, so, so, yeah, so the thing is with AI, so I said in the beginning that it's inspired by an, uh, human intelligence and whenever we build uh, an AI system, we, we're somehow looking into ourselves and our, our own brains and what we understand about that. And that is, the that is the driving force. And of course, that's also why it has to be multidisciplinary, right? Because engineers might not know uh, how the brain works or might not know what social interaction uh, between humans means. So, so, so what we have to like steal <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 nice but it, i'm i'm sorry that it's turned Thomas so knows wrong. but some don't yeah right okay so anyway so so uh, yeah so so it, i mean we are the sort of blueprint of 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 the things we want to to be able to do and of course it's it's a there's a crucial point here that that there's so many things we don't understand about the human brain as if you ask people in neuroscience say okay how well do we understand the human brain and then they say we don't <laughs> at all understand the human brain and then you go and say oh yeah but let's let's build an uh, an ai system that is as smart as a human being but how is that supposed to work if we don't even understand our brain so I think sometimes when we have these short-term predictions where we say, oh, but in 10 years or 20 years, uh, machines will be as, as intelligent as humans, I, I think that, no, that's not true. It's, it's much harder than that. And actually, also, if you look at history, all, 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 I mean, since the 50s, when you ask people, how long will it take before we have human-level uh, artificial intelligence, people said 20 years. They say 20 years all the time, right? And yeah, it's probably more. Probably more. Yeah. So we need to round off uh, very soon, but before we do that, are you scared or optimistic with regards to the future and AI and our interaction with the robots? Brief answer. Brief answer. Um, well, I'm more scared of people. Uh, it's AI in the hands of people. That's what I'm scared of. 
Uh, and I would like to always give the message again. Just think for a moment about what values are. They just don't hang around like butterflies. Values live in interactions. And we are now building new interactions. Right? Sherry Turkle said, we live the robotic moment right now. It's a unique moment in the cultural history of humankind. Not because we have robots in our life, but the way we consider them, that determines who we are willing to become. So it's your decision, it's our decision ultimately, who we are willing to become with robots, with AI. Thank you very much. Thomas, you have a poem, poem you would like to read. Do we have the time? The robot says no. We have a, like a. We have, <laughs> we have, we have time for the start of the poem. Yeah, yeah. No, it's quite short. No, so, yeah. So, so, I, but I think it's this is very neat. So, so I mean, I, I said that linguistic intelligence is difficult, but we still have these so-called language models with uh, hundreds of billions of parameters that have been trained to produce language. Uh, so what it means is that you can start uh, with, a, with, a, with a story and then you can ask an AI system to continue. And I tried that, and this is going to be in Danish. Sorry, I, I, well, I guess it's okay for most people. Um, uh, so, so, I, so I wrote the following. En hed til uopdaget novelle af Benny Andersen blev fundet i en skraldespand i Køge. Den lød således. Så det var det, jeg proppede ind i algoritmen, og så bad jeg den om at, ligesom, at, at, at finde på, hvad der så skete. Og, og, og det her, det er så, hvad algoritmen sagde, og jeg synes, det er meget skønt og, og passer super godt til sådan en festival som den her, som har noget med kunst og samvær at gøre. Så, så den lyder sådan her. Og igen, det er kunstig intelligens, der har skrevet den. Jeg ved ikke, hvad jeg har gjort, men jeg har fået en straf. Jeg skal gå en tur på en time hver dag. Det er ikke særlig strafagtigt, men jeg hader at gå. Jeg hader, at der ikke er nogen, der kan følge med mig, men jeg skal alligevel. En dag, da jeg var på min tur, så jeg en mand, der lignede mig. Han gik også en tur, og han så ked ud af det. Jeg kunne ikke lade være med at gå hen til ham og snakke med ham. Vi snakkede sammen i en time, og vi fandt ud af, at vi begge to havde fået den samme straf. Så vi besluttede os for at gå sammen hver dag. Det var rart at have selskab, og jeg begyndte at finde ud af, at det ikke var så slemt at gå, når man havde en ven. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for coming. Uh, thank you very much for listening. I hope you got some interesting things out of this. Thank you to Thomas. Thank you to Johanna. And have a fantastic festival from here. You have been listening to a Heartland podcast. The talk was recorded live at Heartland Festival 2022 and is presented in collaboration with Videnscab.dk. We hope that the talk has provided insights and perspective and that you'll give some of the other Heartland podcasts a listen. They can be found on our website or where you usually listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>